Welcome. It's good to see everybody here today. Hi for anybody who's at home uh, watching. We're, we're glad. Um, so trials are always a huge opportunity. And uh, this week, I was going to be teaching on the second half of Matthew chapter 7, which is the wide and narrow road. And we'll be back to that next week. Um, an awesome uh, just passage that talks about considering our standing and our relationship with the Lord. So we'll do that next week. But this week, um, I just thought it would be uh, really helpful for us to consider the pathway to peace. How do we have peace? Trials are a huge opportunity. But in order for us to take advantage of those things, in order for us to be the people that God wants us to be in the lives of others, we have to really think through what our relationship with him is like. I saw a couple uh, quotes on Twitter, a couple tweets, and I wanted to just share those with you. Um, one was from John B Piper, and it says, Don't waste your trials. There is much to be gained through trials. Look, at, look for it. Expect it. This is going to be an awesome opportunity. God is going to do great things in our country through this trial. Um, the world is not out of control. God didn't wake up one morning and say, oh my goodness, what's going on? God has a perfect plan. And this is an amazing opportunity for us to respond correctly. Steve Lawson, he said this, far more deadly than the spread of the coronavirus is the sp spread of sin take every precaution. Kind of amazing to see the world thrown into this frenzy and everybody's washing their hands and we're talking about all these protections that we need to take and all these precautions, which is good and we should do those things. But it's opportunities like this that when we as believers ought to think about that, that the physical life is so much less important than eternity. And we need to be mindful of the fact that everybody has been infected by the disease of sin, and there's, there's an eternity at stake. And that perspective needs to shape everything that we do. It needs to shape what we think about. Now, um, if you're in this church family, uh, there's going to be a lot of opportunities to do ministry. And one of the things that I want to encourage you is you don't have to fill out the cards anymore. We put a little thing in the app that you can go to and you can click for a connect card. So instead of filling something out, go to your app and whether you're at home or whether you're here. And if, if, if you're in a stage where you're struggling and you're having difficulty and you can't go out for whatever reason and you need help, um, just say, I need somebody to go shopping for me. I need some help. Whatever it is related to what is going on or any other thing in your life. If on the other hand, you say, you know what, I'm healthy and I can, I can run errands for people. I can help people. Take, let us know that too and say, hey, I want to help if people need help. As the body of Christ, we want to come together and be an encouragement and minister to others. Let's talk for a minute about feelings. Are feelings important? The way you feel about things. And are feelings right or wrong? Have you ever heard people say, hey, feelings aren't right or wrong, they're just feelings? Uh, what do you think about that? Now, another question for you, um, do you control your emotions or do your emotions control you? And if, you, if you're feeling emotions, if you're feeling turbulent in this situation or in any situation, how do you deal with that? How, how do you handle that? And I would just say this, we control our emotions by our thinking. 
by informing our minds with truth. And one of the things I love is a lot of times my emotions tell me what I really believe. When I'm struggling emotionally in a certain situation, I rehearse in my mind, okay, what is true? Um, and, and what is how I'm feeling? What does that mean about things that I need to think more deeply about? And so this morning, we're going to consider that. And the first thing is this. We need to view everything through the lens of the gospel. And the question is, what is the gospel? Well, the gospel is the message about forgiveness and a restored relationship between God and man. When you think about the value of the gospel, it is the most important thing in the world. Everybody needs it. And it provides Jesus. Jesus is the one who provides this salvation. And people who know Christ get that. When we face trials, it forces us to evaluate what's important in our priorities. I recently, a close friend, uh, was just considering the fact that maybe they have a, a very significant medical condition. And uh, just in talking about that, this person just shared with me, you know what, I know that God has a purpose in everything. And in the midst of that difficulty and that trial, an eternal perspective and understanding that God loves us and God is in control provides stability. So this morning we're going to consider um, Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 through 7. And uh, in this passage, basically, we are given four commands and a promise. And, and there's a command in verse 4, a command in verse 5, two commands in verse 6, and a promise in verse 7. And as we consider those things this morning, one of the things that we're going to find is that when we obey those, command, those commands, God's peace guards our heart and our mind. Now, this, this passage is challenging because we are commanded to do some things that may not initially seem possible. Um, but one of the things that we know is that nothing God tells us is impossible. So let me tell you a little bit about this Philippian church. This Philippian church was a very faithful church and very special to the Apostle Paul. So the Apostle Paul, on his second missionary journey, um, everything in his circumstances got rearranged. Um, things were kind of um, not what he planned. So he had kind of planned out a trip, and the Holy Spirit says, no, you can't go there. You've got to go to Philippi. So he ends up going into Philippi. So he goes into the town where this church is, and he preaches the gospel, and some people get saved. Lydia ends up getting saved, her and her family. And there are some others who come to know the Lord. And Paul ends up casting a demon out of this fortune teller. And that creates this difficulty. And he just ends up getting beaten with rods. So he's traveling. He gets sent to Philippi. He ends up being beaten with rods, thrown into prison. And then this amazing thing happens. God frees Paul. And the chains fall off. The doors are opened. And the jailer all of a sudden wakes up and realizes that Paul is not there. And he's about to kill himself, and Paul says, Oh no, don't hurt yourself, we're here. And the jailer ends up becoming saved. So here this difficult, traumatic situation ends up being significant spiritual blessing. And then this church ends up being just amazing in Paul's life. In fact, when Paul talks about how he was traveling and nobody supported him, he says, no one supported me except the Philippian church. 
And out of, the, out of your intense poverty, you gave generously and you begged for the opportunity to participate in meeting spiritual needs. And so these people, they invested spiritually. They gave even though they were poor. And this church is an encouragement. And they've just, they're just so amazing in Paul's life. And all of that born out of some very difficult situations. And Paul is going to wrap up things here. And so let's read this. Let's read this passage. And let's consider what we have to, to learn. Philippians 4, verse 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. So that's our first command. The second one, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then here's the promise. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. So just a few observations, general observations. You know, our emotions, they flow from what we think. Our outlook and our perspective of the future has a significant impact on how we feel. I was thinking about a friend of mine was just sharing that worry and anxiety is imagining the future without God. One of the things I notice about this passage is in every single verse, Paul puts God in there. And so we'll look at that. God is in every verse. The, the way we deal with anxiety is to think about what it means that God is in our future. In addition to that, this passage, there's a lot of emphasis on what we should not do. And there's, um, and, and so we need to, sometimes by doing what we should do, we avoid doing what we should not do. So let's consider this. First, we need to rejoice in every circumstance. Look at Philippians 4.4. 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. I mean, that is emphasized. It is stated twice in that passage. Now, rejoice. That's to be happy, to be glad, to be delighted. Like, we know what rejoicing is. Now, how many of you... And, and I'm sure that this is true of some of you. How many of you, since the outbreak of the coronavirus, have been rejoicing? Um, you know, I think about some folks in our church family. Like, when you think about the trials, this is difficult for everybody. But we already had a number of people in our church who were dealing with very significant health issues. Things that were weighing them down, that they were feeling incredibly burdened by. And now this is thrown on top, um, feeling like you're already at the point where you just can't take any more. You know, this verse is saying that we are to rejoice always. It doesn't say rejoice unless you find out you have a terminal disease. Rejoice unless something really bad happens. Rejoice unless there's the coronavirus. No, we are to rejoice. And that's to be a habitual action. We're supposed to be doing that always. Now, I'll just say this, that salvation is the key to our rejoicing. 
Salvation is a key to our rejoicing because whatever happens in this life is not the final story. It is not the most significant thing. And our standing before the Lord actually is what allows us to rejoice no matter what. And as we think about the world, what the world needs is salvation. They need to be right with God. And that's one of the things that you see in chapter 1 of Philippians. Um, chap, uh, Philippians um, chapter 1, verse 2. I want to read just a few things. This church and the Apostle Paul were focused on the gospel. It says in Philippians 1, 2, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy. Why? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Philippians 1.12, Paul is actually writing from prison. So he's in a difficult personal situation. And this is what he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Paul is facing a very difficult personal situation, but he's glad and he's saying good because this is an opportunity for the gospel. And there were multiple things. There were some people that hated Paul. And when he got thrown in prison, they're like, oh, good, he's in prison. We're going to go preach. And they were preaching for bad motives. And then they were kind of glad that Paul was locked up. And Paul just says, actually, I don't care why they're preaching. I'm just glad that they're preaching the gospel. Paul says that because he was thrown in prison, other people have gained this boldness to be able to preach the gospel. And so he's saying, hey, look, I preached the gospel and I got thrown in prison. And that's inspired a lot of people to say, hey, I'm going to preach. And so as we think about difficulty, what's our priority? Are we rejoicing and thankful when trials come, knowing that those pro provide opportunities, spiritual opportunities? Or do we say, no, my personal comfort is my priority. See, when we're focused on the gospel, that really gives us peace and, and it allows us to rejoice. I want to consider, uh, I sent this uh, part of this psalm out this, this week in an email. And um, our relationship with Christ and our view of the future is based on what we know about the person, uh, the person of God, the person of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, God the Father. And I want to just read this and let's consider this. Psalm 139, think about this as you approach life. Psalm 139, it says this, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path, my lying down, and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in, behind and before. You lay your hand on me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Have you thought about that? God knows you. He knows everything about you. He is always there. If it feels like you're alone, you are not alone. God is there and his hand is on you. He is protecting you from every side all the time. Look at verse 7. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, 
Even there your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall take hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will cover me, and the light to me is about, is about to be night, even the darkness is not darkness to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. And then if you skip down to verse 16, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was not one of them. Now how precious are your thoughts, O God, how vast is the sum of them. You know, it's so, so encouraging to me. Uh, we, we make choices, we need to be wise, but the days of our life have been numbered before we were born. And so we don't go through life afraid, oh my goodness, what's gonna happen? We know that God holds us in our hand, our job is to seek first God's kingdom and trust him to take care of our needs. You know, this command is given in the midst of challenging circumstances. I already mentioned this. Paul was being opposed by people. Um, Philippians chapter 2, verse 17, Paul is looking at the possibility of his own execution. He writes this book about joy when he's considering the option of being executed, this is what he says in, in Philippians 2.17, Even if I am about to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifices, sacrificial offerings of your faith, I am glad and I rejoice. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. You know what Paul tells the church? You love me. I'm in a place where my life may be at risk, but I'm rejoicing and you should rejoice with me. You know, there's a, another thing that I see one of the challenges in this situation that Paul's telling them to rejoice about. Philippians 2.28. You know, there are things that are more important than protecting your own life. And I think for me, I am not in the slightest bit concerned personally about getting sick. You know, I'm not in a high-risk category, and even if I was, that doesn't concern me. I am working really hard to wash my hands and to do all the things to stay safe because I, I don't want to infect anybody else. But I don't have any concerns in that part. You know, sometimes we, we are concerned. We do have concerns about those things. But there are things that are more important than just trying to protect yourself. In fact, Epaphroditus, it says this in Philippians 2.28, I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. You know, this church sent somebody the, to the Apostle Paul, and, and in that, he got so sick that he almost died trying to serve Paul. And the church was so overwhelmed with concern, and, and Paul was overwhelmed with concern. Philippians 2.30 says, For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. And then in this verse, he goes on and he says, again, I will say rejoice. When I think about rejoicing, why do we rejoice? You know, we have so many reasons to be thankful and to rejoice. We live in an amazing time. It used to be sickness and disease just went everywhere and people had no idea what to do. 
we have so much treatment. I mean, it is just amazing. The, the excellent response that's happened with locking down the, the country and all the things that they're, that they're doing, even telling people, hey, shut things down and, and be careful and, and just encouraging people to be healthy and, and to be mindful of passing on uh, sicknesses. It is amazing that we live in that time when we, can, when we can do that and benefit from tests and just all the different things that they have. This is an amazing time that we live. And we have a lot to rejoice about. I don't know if you know this. Um, so far in the United States, and, and we're just concerned about this, but, but as of this morning, there are 60 people who have died from the coronavirus in the United States. Did you know that 100 people every day die in a car accident? 100 people. Last year during the flu season, 38 thousand people died of the flu. One of the things that I've been thinking about is um, all this care and all this concern about spreading disease. Um, so I, I was talking to a doctor about um, just earlier this week and he said that the average person gives the flu to 1.3 people. The average person with this coronavirus, the average person is giving the coronavirus to three people. So it's about twice as contagious. One of the things I was thinking about is with all our care, the massive number of people who may not get the regular flu, um, there, there could be a net savings of lives by this care and consideration that we're thinking about the coronavirus, but what about all of the other things that make people sick that are fatal? Um, this potentially is a way that God will bless our country in many ways. Here's the second thing. Um, the second point this morning is this. Christians need to prioritize consideration toward others. Consideration, reasonable consideration. Look at Philippians 4, 5. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. So let's just talk for a second about what being reasonable is. That's being gentle, kind, not always wanting your own way. It's being considerate. And, and I like what it says here, let your reasonableness. This is a personal character quality. And it says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Um, so I was thinking about something that, that happened in uh, the, the Costco that Michelle and I used to shop at. Um, it happened three days ago. So there, there are just massive numbers of people that are, that are lined up. This is in Santa Clarita. And, and I got these texts, and somebody's like, oh, man, somebody stabbed someone at Costco. And, and, and so what happened? There's this massive people. They're all trying to get some toilet paper and some water, and, and there's, and there's this, all this upset. And so somebody calls the police, and they say, people are fighting. And, and so the cops go, and as it turns out, nobody got stabbed. There was no violence but a person got mad that somebody cut in line. And they got mad that someone cut in line and they called the police. And so the sheriff's department tweeted out, please do not call 911 when somebody cuts in line. <laughs> you know, when you think about, um, I, heard, I heard also about a, another individual who just as soon as this happened, he went up and he just bought tons of hand sanitizer and he just bought up a bunch of stuff and he's got it in a truck and he's trying to sell it on Amazon and trying to sell it on eBay and so he just created this huge 
shortage to try to uh, benefit from it. And Amazon find out, found out and eBay found out and they shut down his account and they said, you can't sell. So now he's stuck with all this stuff that he bought. You know, as believers, we need to be reasonable to everyone. To, to just run around and fight for our own, to, to care for ourselves, to protect ourselves. That is not the priority of a believer. Look what it says here in Philippians chapter 2. It says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. You know, we, there's a real opportunity for us to, to, to display this. Uh, Michelle and I were looking for some hand sanitizer. We couldn't find any. But we did end up in this store that had like three containers of hand wipes, you know, the sanitizing wipes. And uh, so I'm standing there, and me and this other gentleman walk up there, and there's two small containers, and there's one big container. And so as I'm showing up, and, and I'm looking, and we're both kind of standing there, and I could have said, oh, you know, I was first. <laughs> Um, I don't know what happened. Maybe I was slow, but I think I let him go first and he got the big one and we got the small one. I was thankful to have a small one. Um, when I was, we've been thinking through making like all these changes and thinking through, okay, how can we adjust what we're doing so that things can be more healthy? And so I went online to find these communion cups because we don't want to pass communion and this may spread into our next communion service. So how can we, how can we do communion in a way that that we're not having a bunch of people touch things. And so we came up with a plan, but we had to buy these little cups that have the bread in them and the juice in them. And churches are a little slower than some of the people with the hand sanitizer, because I went to a website and there's still some of those available. I was thinking there probably won't be any available. And it was really cool because I was thinking, okay, we, we could order some for one or two months. And I was talking to Craig and I just said, you know what, um, should I just order one or two months or should I order four months, you know, just to make sure we have it. And Craig's like, hey, Roger, we don't want to be like the people that are buying up all the hand sanitizer. What if some other churches need it? Let's just buy less so that there will be more available for other people. You know, that's how we need to be thinking about life. That's how we need to think about things, not just thinking about ourselves, but thinking about others. You know, when it says let your reasonableness be known, this is one of the things to consider is that that's passive. What it's saying is that this character quality should be so strong in your life that everybody sees it. You're not running around saying, I'm reasonable, I'm, I'm considerate, I care about other people. It should be so evident in your life that everybody who knows you and sees you says that is a reasonable person, that is a thoughtful person, that is somebody who considers other people. That should just be your reputation everywhere with everyone not just to believers, not just to your family members, but to everyone. As we think about being reasonable, we want to make sure that we're not panicking. When you panic, you think only of yourself and fear drives you. We need to make sure also that, that in being reasonable and considerate, that we are not downplaying the significance of this struggle. Um, this, this is a challenge. One of the reasons I'm not concerned is because potentially it's not going to affect me. But did you know that Orange County, this is such a wonderful place to live, it's where everybody retires? We have a very high population 
of older people who are the most at risk in this situation. One of the reasons why we should cancel things, one of the reasons that we should be really mindful and careful about different things is not necessarily for our protection, but to be able to slow things down, to make sure that if people go to the hospital that there's, there's resources to care for them. I just think about the state of our, our hospitals. They were too full before this happened. Um, I did get on, online this morning and I was checking out this, their most recent statistics. And, and right now, um, it says right now that of everybody in the United States who has the coronavirus, nobody is in a critical condition. So it's kind of interesting. I'm like double checking that. Okay, we have a bunch of people who have it. You have a few thousand people, but the people in the critical category was zero. Um, what an amazing blessing. We need to pray that that continues and we need to work hard to help that happen. So we need to be reasonable. Here's the third thing. We need to replace anxiety with a prayerful, thankful attitude. Replace anxiety. Two commands here. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Be anxious for nothing. The way that's phrased is the assumption that they are anxious. And, and Paul is telling them, look, you are anxious, but you need to stop being anxious. Be anxious for nothing. To be anxious, that's anxious, distracted, concerned, worried, fearful. You know, this is not a call to a carefree life where you just don't care about anything where you're unconcerned about anything, but it's saying, don't worry. Don't. Have you ever had things that are, that are so occupying in your mind that you're so concerned about that people talk to you and you don't even listen to them? You forget what you're doing. You forget where you're going because your mind is so filled with anxiety. Don't be worried. Now, what causes us to feel this way? It's our circumstances. And you want to know something? It's it's things, it's realizing that there are things that are outside of our control. You know, that's one of the things that is such a great opportunity is that we have a world that runs along with a, with a false sense of security. I was thinking about that in the earthquake. Um, we lived in Santa Clarita back in the, in the 1994 earthquake. And so just like a few miles from our house, when that earthquake happened, the whole freeway fell down. And I remember them just rebuilding that project and, and, and just hearing somebody say, oh, we've rebuilt it. It is so much better when they finally, I mean, the traffic was horrible, but they finally got these roads up and they redesigned it. And now it could handle like a six, an, an earthquake that was a six or a seven. <laughs> I'm just thinking, and people are like, it's so much better. It's so much more safe now. And I'm just like, you know, God could shake that down in a second. You think you built something that won't fall down in an earthquake? People live with a, a false sense of security. They, you know, they put their money in the, retire, in the stock market and, and it's just going up and it's just such a great year and everybody's happy about that. And, and what happens in a moment, it's crashing and it shakes people up. Hey, what's gonna happen? What, what about my future? What if this never comes back? And people worry because of that. Talking about physical health. People all of a sudden, they're worried, what if I get sick? What if I get, can't get treated? People live with a false sense of security. And this is an incredible opportunity for us to demonstrate a faith 
and a trust in God. We are not worried about the future. We're not running and thinking that, oh man, if I could only get that hand sanitizer, I'll live. And we're trusting this bottle of hand sanitizer for our future. No, um, that's not where we base our hope. We don't live in fear. And so we need to be thoughtful. We need to take these anxious thoughts. And instead of taking God out of our thoughts of the future, we need to put God into our thoughts of the future. And so instead of being anxious, what do we do? We pray. We talk to the God who actually is in control. The God who actually can take care of everything. It says in everything. So he said, be anxious for in nothing, but in everything, pray. And, you know, that is an all-encompassing statement. Have you ever felt like, well, yeah, when everything was kind of going okay, I, I, could, I could deal with my anxiety, but I'm, right now I am facing the most overwhelming difficulty you could never under... This doesn't say be anxious for nothing except the really big things. Pray about everything, but actually some things are so bad you should just worry about them and don't pray. Um, that same pastor friend of mine that he was sharing with his congregation, he said, worry is like a rocking chair. Um, it gives you something to do, but it doesn't go anywhere. Instead of being anxious, we need to pray. And so when we talk about prayer, this word for prayer, the first one, it's a general word for prayer, always directed toward God. It's adoration, devotion, worship. It's dwelling on who God is our loving Heavenly Father. Supplication, that's to, to focus on specific requests and needs. When we pray, we can pray specifically. We can say, this person is having this struggle. When, when I found out that that person really close to me was having this potential medical emergency, I was just praying that they would be wrong that anything that was making them think that would be wrong. And everybody in our family prayed. And then to get the news that they were wrong. What an amazing comfort. We pray specifically about things for specific people. If you're feeling like, man, I really need some hand sanitizer, pray that you'll be able to find some. Like, pray specifically about those things. And, and for those of us, maybe somebody will find out you really want some hand sanitizer, and they'll give you some of what, what they have. Let's, let's pray specifically for things, a definite, re specific request. You know, I think about uh, James. Sometimes we're trying to decide what we should do, how we should handle things. James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. And then the next verse says, let not that man expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. We go to God, we ask specifically, knowing that he's good, that he cares about, it, that he, about us, that he can meet every need. So as a Christian, you need to trade anxiety for prayer. And then this is the amazing promise that God gives us in verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Think about that. That's a, that's a military picture. It, it's like saying you're standing there 
And the peace of God is like a guard protecting your heart. That's who you are. That's, that's everything about who you are, protecting your mind. That's the way that you think. When you think rightly about God, you'll be able to think rightly about the world. And God's peace guards you. That is an amazing promise. One of the things that I think about in this regard is think about the disciples. You know, the disciples were in a boat with Jesus, and they were facing this very challenging situation. And uh, so it says this in, in Mark 8, 36, And leaving the crowd, they took, they took him with them in the boat, and just, just as he was. And other boats were with him, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already being filled. And he was in the stern asleep on a cushion. You know, I used to surf way back. And I remember being out in the ocean. And just one time, me and this friend were trying to paddle out. And there was just these huge, massive walls were just breaking. And my friend just thought, man, I can't get out. He just, he just went in. And I'm out there, and I'm just, man, I felt so good because I finally get out there in the waves. And once I get out there, I just thought to myself, what am I doing? I can't ride any of these waves. And I was so tired after paddling out. And, and the entire beach was just this massive riptide. And so I'm, I'm starting to try to paddle in, and, and, and I'm just getting sucked out, and I'm trying to paddle in, and I just can't get in. And finally, this big, massive wave just kind of catches me and slams me down, and, and I can feel it pulling my surfboard leash. And my surfboard is being pulled. And I just thought to myself, if this leash breaks, I'm going to die. And, and right before that happened, I'm watching my friend walk to the car. He's going to put his stuff away. And I'm thinking, I'm going to drown out here, and nobody's even going to know. You know, the ocean and the waves... Those are a terrifying, difficult, stressful circumstance. And these disciples are in a boat, and they are terrified, but Jesus is with them. And Jesus is calm, and he's asleep. And they say this, they wake him up. Teacher, don't you care that we're dying? Like, they're stressed out. Now, these are fishermen. They're probably way more brave than I was. Kind of a sissy, but... But these guys were tough, and they were scared. And they're like, Jesus, don't you care about us? Mark 8, 39 says, And he awoke, and he rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you so little faith? He looks at them and says, hey, I'm here. Don't you trust me to take care of you? Like as we think about these things in life, the things that you're not in control of, the future that you're afraid of, Jesus holds that in his hands. We can trust him to take care of it. And then it says that they were filled with great fear and they said to, to, to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? What an amazing promise. You know, Hebrews 13, 5 says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. 
You know, that, that last phrase of I will never leave you or forsake you is actually a quote from the Old Testament. And it's when Israel, do you remember they went up and they were supposed to take over um, the Canaanite uh, nations? And right before they went in, they were also afraid. They just said, no, they're, they're too great. The giants are too big. We can't do it. And God says, okay, you're all going to die. You're going to wander around in the wilderness for not trusting me. And we'll give the next generation a chance. And then God brings that next generation back up to that same place. And they're about to go in this time for the second time. And in Deuteronomy 13.5, he says, in Deuteronomy 31.6, he says, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. As we, as we go through life, God's love and presence in our life lets us approach everything without fear. You know, the peace of God flows from obedience, if receiving God's peace, we need to know it's absolutely possible. If you don't have peace, it is not because of your circumstances. It's not because they're too difficult. It's not because God doesn't love you. And it's not because that peace isn't available. It's because we need to discipline ourselves to practice the instructions that God's given us. Now here's, in a sense, as we continue on and as we kind of wrap things up here's the issue if you as a believer are in a panic and have no view of who God is if God's not big in your mind how will you communicate the gospel to a world that's lost it is critical that you live rightly that you see God for who he is so that you can explain him to the people around us when you go to a store to say no you go first um, if you have some hand sanitizer and you find out a neighbor needs some, go give it to them. Let them see the confidence. Hey, let's be careful. Let's not just be careless. Let's just not say, oh, you know, God's going to take care of me and then run around and do things that are unsafe. Let's do the best we can. But those things are not what, what we put our security and hope in, that I'm going to remember to wash my hands at the right time. Like I was thinking about that this week. Okay, so I open a door and I'm texting somebody and, and then, you know, I get into the house and I think to myself, okay, let's wash my hands before I eat and I wash my hands and, and so now my hands are all clean and, and then I grab my phone to check the time while I just reinfected myself. <laughs> like if you think logistically about those things, everything that we do helps. But if your hope is that you're never going to touch the wrong thing or you're going to always wash your hands at the right time, that is a terrible place to put your hope. But if you put your hope in Christ, now that, that's something that brings comfort and, and brings peace. And God's peace and comfort will guard us. And we can remember, too, this is one of the things I think about, just because I'm not in a high-risk category doesn't mean that I won't get sick and die. That could happen to me. But you know what? I'm not afraid of that because my eternity is secure. And we have a world, there's a lot of people that are afraid, afraid to die with good reason. They don't know God. Their future is not secure. And so in this whole thing, this is an opportunity for you and me to be the people we should be so that we can reach others with the gospel. Let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for your kindness. Lord, thank you that we can trust you, that we don't have to be afraid. 
God, I pray that you would help us to be considerate of others, that we would take every opportunity to be gentle and to be reasonable and to consider the needs of others more important than ourselves. And God, I do ask that you would give us peace. Lord, I know that um, this coronavirus has been stressful for many. And yet, Lord, even before this happened, we all have so many things in our life that at times create such great concern. God, I pray that this would be an opportunity for us to really work on developing spiritually faithful habits. Lord, that we would think rightly about you and that we would imagine a future with our loving God in it. In your name, amen.